In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When Yahweh gave Moses and Israel the Ten Commandments, way back in Exodus 20, He began by giving them, first, before any law, His promise. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. So far in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has done a similar thing for us. Earlier in Matthew 5, we heard a few Sundays ago the Beatitudes, those constant words of his blessing to us. Jesus declared us to be blessed in him. Last week we heard how we are declared salt and light in him, how we live in him and reflect his love to others. Today, as Jesus continues to unpack now the meaning of the commandments, it's helpful to remember that part of the context of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that he begins in the same way the Ten Commandments did back in Exodus, with his word of gospel and promise and blessing. Now, of course, his words in the Sermon on the Mount are difficult. It's sometimes hard to understand what he means and what he says. But when we remember that he's saying it to us as his baptized, redeemed, and rescued people, that helps to get a little bit of our heads around what he's teaching us here. Here in Matthew 5, Jesus is telling us, teaching us, this is how you live as my redeemed and beloved baptized people. And so to begin with, in this section at least of Matthew 5, Jesus takes three of the Ten Commandments, the fifth, the sixth, and the Eighth Commandments. And it reveals how we live in those gifts that he has given to us to protect us for our good, for our life and good with others as well. He begins this way. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. You see, here in the fifth commandment, God is giving us the gift of our body and soul, our life, all our members, our strength and reason. And he intends us then to live and treat others around us, not with anger or hatred, both in our inward heart and our thoughts and those things that go in our minds, but also in our outward deeds and actions and words. To live, as we heard in the children's message, in that reconciliation, that peace that Jesus has won for us. As we are reconciled and brought at peace under his cross, we then are called to live in that peace with others too. Jesus then goes on to the sixth commandment. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman in lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now here in the Sixth Commandment, Jesus is giving us the gift of marriage and sexuality. We celebrated the joy of marriage between man and woman yesterday with Zach and Rachel's wedding. And he intends us then to live in this purity of heart. But not only, again, not just inwardly, but also outward in our actions and in our relationship with others of the opposite sex. To remember that everyone we come into contact with is someone for whom Christ has died. So Jesus teaches us here in this commandment this gift of human sexuality and of marriage and how it is important and dear to him as it was all the way back in the beginning in Genesis. Jesus then moves on also to cover the Eighth Commandment. 
Again, you have heard it said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great kings, nor shall you swear by your head, but simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Now here in the Eighth Commandment, Jesus is giving us his gift of a good reputation, of a good standing and treatment of others before, before others. And so he intends us to use our words in a God-pleasing way, not to use them too flippantly or too lightly, but to let that yes be yes, that no be no. And even hearing Jesus' commandments this way, even as we say at the end of the Gospel reading, the Gospel of our Lord, and we think, praise to you, O Christ. That doesn't sound like Gospel. It's hard to hear Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount and not feel convicted. Because the more we wrestle with Jesus' words and teaching, the more we find ourselves stripped of any of our own self-importance, of our own self-righteousness, I don't know about you, but every time I read this part of the Sermon on the Mount, I realize that I don't have any legs to stand on. That I haven't lived as God intended or declares or teaches us in those words. That I haven't loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, or strength, or mind. I haven't loved my neighbor as myself either. In another part of our confession, we say that we live as if God did not matter and as if I mattered most. And that comes to a glaring forefront in my face when I read the Sermon on the Mount. You see, Jesus' words reveal not only how he intends us to live, but also that we have not lived as he would intend us to. That we have been hateful and angry. That we have lusted in our hearts and minds. That we haven't always spoken with the kindest words or put the best construction on everything. Jesus' words really leave us with no wiggle room, nowhere we can squirm and hide away, nothing to cling to except the one thing that stays and is important, his word, his promise. You see, Jesus' words aren't just hard to follow. From our point of view, they sound impossible. And though we certainly try, and we should try, to live as God would please and as he intends us and as he teaches us to live we know that daily we constantly fail and fall and sin C.S. Lewis observed this fact once when he was writing about temptation that no man knows how bad he is until he's tried very hard to be very good it's kind of the way it goes with us but Jesus' words if they reveal that we have not lived as he intends us to live they also reveal more importantly and thankfully his intention to live for you. His desire and will to keep his commandments on your behalf. To do for us what we cannot and are unable to do. To follow not just the letter of the law, but the spirit and its full intent for for you. To keep it as he kept it every day of his life perfectly. Every jot, every tittle, every dot, all of it kept for you. It's true, we should not be angry with our neighbors. But when you are, there is one who has become liable to hell for you. One who has left every gift of his body on the altar. Even his own life in order to 
be at peace with you and reconcile you to God the Father that you might be reconciled with others. One who has come to terms with all of the accusers paying our debts in the full with his own blood shed for us. It's true, we should not look at other people lustfully. But when you do, there is one who has sacrificed not only his eye and his hands, but his entire body. Who, one who is himself at the right hand of God, who was cut off and thrown away on the cross for us, enduring the entire wrath of God for you, that you would not endure that great hell and torment. It is true that you should not commit adultery. But when you do, still consider that there is one who considers and counts you to be his holy bride. One who has married you and called you his holy and beloved and cleansed you of every spot and sin. One who will bear your sin himself. For he is innocent. And all of your sin is buried with him on Good Friday. It's true that you should not swear falsely, not misuse the name of the Lord your God. But when you do, there is one who says, yes, and he needs no oath or anything to back it up save his own word. He says yes to saving you, yes to raising you from the dead, yes to bringing you out of the grave through his own resurrection, yes to calling you his beloved, baptized, redeemed people this day and always. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.